It's a movement, but it's about people. Be the People is about we the people joining forces to reclaim and reshape the best of our nation's time-treasured traditions. Each week, we offer insightful interviews with movers and shakers from all different spheres of life. And now, please welcome Dr. Carol Swain. I'm Carol Swain, and this is the Be The People Show. Today is the second of two shows focusing on the coronavirus pandemic known as COVID-19. Last week, we discussed how you and your family can protect themselves from the epidemic and also how governments around the world have handled this pandemic. On today's show, we're going to talk about something that's been on my mind for a long time, how our handling of COVID-19 seems to be so different from how governments have handled past pandemics. My guest is Dr. Kelly Victory. Kelly is a board certified trauma and emergency specialist with over 25 years of experience. She's a member of the Leadership Council at Harvard School of Public Health and an advisor to many healthcare professionals. She also teaches a course on leadership in times of crisis. Help me to welcome Kelly Victory to the Be The People Show. Hey, so great to be with you, Carol, and thanks for tackling this really timely and very difficult topic. Um, Obviously, this whole coronavirus outbreak has consumed the entire news cycle for the past uh, weeks and months and uh, impacted inarguably the lives of really every American. So I give you a lot of credit for taking this on and I'm happy to uh, answer any of your questions. It's so interesting because, you know, most of us, in fact, I guess all of us had no idea we'd be spending, you know, the, the past, you know, four weeks and, and, and an unknown time into the future dealing with this. I I agree. And it really is. It's an unprecedented event. And when I say unprecedented, Carol, what's unprecedented isn't the virus itself. What's unprecedented is the response. Just to put things in perspective, most people are aware that we have an annual influenza outbreak every single year. It's a seasonal event. The season starts somewhere around November and generally kind of weeds itself out by you know the end of March or April every single year. We have different numbers of, of people who are infected every year and different mortality rates based on the particular strain of influenza. But every single year we face a seasonal outbreak. So far in this season's outbreak, we've had 38 million Americans have been infected with influenza A. Think about that. 38 million Americans have influenza and about 24,000 deaths so far this year, this season. Yet we have never seen the kind of response or uh, action by the government to influenza that we are seeing with COVID-19. Now, I'm not trying to say that they are the same virus because they are not. I'm not claiming in any way that COVID-19 is a hoax or any other word that you would apply to it to say that I am uh, underestimating it or I'm downplaying it. 
it is a novel coronavirus. But it, the response right now is so far out of proportion to the actual risk from this virus as to be preposterous. And it really begs the question of why, why the government is doing this, why the CDC is responding the way they are. And as you said in your intro, I teach a course on leadership in times of crisis. And I can tell you, this is not the way to lead in the time of a crisis. Well, Kelly, my question too is, why is the media just constantly putting up the numbers to make it seem like to make it seem like people are dropping like flies? And if you look at the worldwide population, we have 7.9 billion people, and in the U.S., 327 million. The um, proportion of that, or the percentage that have died or been affected from COVID-19, is just a tiny fraction. You are exactly right. In fact, as I said, right now, as of this morning, uh, just before I got on with you, the number of deaths in the United States is just under 13,000 that have been attributed to COVID-19. And I'll break that number down a little bit because I think even that number is grossly inflated. But even if you believed that 13,000 Americans had died of COVID-13, that is just about half of the number who have died of influenza this year. Yet we hear nothing about influenza whatsoever. So uh, I, I agree with you. It's just a tiny fraction and the media uh, really have bought into this and make it sound like it is far more dire than it actually is. Let's just look at those numbers though. We, we need to take a break. Sure. And when we return, I'd like for you to go into the numbers and break it down more. Each week, the Be The People Show presents interviews with insightful guests from the world of politics, religion, media, and culture. The Be The People Show is on podcast. It offers bonus footage. To listen to Be The People online, go to the BeThePeopleNews.com website and subscribe to the Be The People podcast heard also on the America Out Loud Network. AmericaOutloud.com is the voice of liberty and justice for all. As we celebrate our four-year anniversary, thank you for making it all possible. Well, should it news deliver truth and inspire us to reach higher? With blogs, podcasts, video, and 24-7 talk radio on our free apps on Apple, Android, or Alexa. We are the vision of the voices, America Out Loud Talk Radio. I'm back with my guest, Kelly uh, Victory. And Kelly, uh, you were about to dig into those numbers that we're being given by the media. Uh, what's going on there? Well, the numbers that are being reported, Carol, for the cases, say, for example, how many people have the virus, that number is actually way underreported because we simply haven't been testing that many people. And the only people being tested are those people who get quite sick. There are undoubtedly millions of other people who actually have been exposed to the virus, have probably already had it and recovered, and that's a very good thing because those people actually have antibodies now. They are, have developed immunity to it. 
you have to remember only 80% of people who get this virus are going to have really any significant symptoms whatsoever. Most people will not. Now, Kelly, uh, I know that there were two Stanford University uh, doctors or scientists who pointed out that there is a selection bias that when they are doing those projections of how many people will actually die, they're using numbers of people, you know, who are already sick for testing and for those projections. Can you break that down so that regular people can understand what's wrong with that approach? Exactly. What, what, what they are doing, Carol, is applying a mathematical model, first of all, to things that don't necessarily follow mathematics, because there are people involved in viruses, and so the mathematical model doesn't necessarily play out the way they would, the epidemiologists would like to think that it does. Furthermore, as I said a minute ago, the number of people who actually have had the virus and are exposed is way higher than they're saying that it is. And the number of people who they're counting as deaths, I believe is significantly lower. And here's why. Right now, the CDC has determined that you can say that someone has died of COVID-19 even without having had a positive test for it. So if I simply as a physician say, your symptoms were consistent with it, that you had symptoms that sounded like COVID-19, and you pass away, I can write on your death certificate, COVID-19. Furthermore, most of the people we know who have died so far with COVID-19 had lots of other or, or significant other medical problems, including diabetes, end-stage kidney disease, you know, heart disease, um, those sorts of things. So those people are being lumped in. So if somebody uh, goes in, for example, and has a heart attack, but they also had symptoms of COVID-19, that person's death will be written down as a death from COVID-19 rather than a death from a heart attack. Well, Kelly, uh, I was listening to a presidential press conference, and I believe her name is Dr. Burks. Yes, that's correct. Okay, well, she was saying that if someone died, as you say, from some other disease, and there was any, uh, well, she actually said if they had COVID-19, it would be um, recorded as a COVID-19 uh, death. And we see with patients dying in nursing homes that some of those people are over 95 years of age. And so they are, you know, they're dying of something that maybe a year ago they would say natural causes, but they're saying COVID-19. Is that a good approach, you know, for the government? I guess if you know for certain that the person had COVID-19, it would be acceptable but it seems as if the other causes of death were not gonna be listed, or maybe they were gonna list everything. I'm not sure. Well, you are exactly right. What Dr. Burke said is, is precisely right. And that's, it's a, uh, a dishonest approach, Carol, I believe, because it is overinflating the number of deaths. As you said, for example, I, one of my sister's mother-in-law, who is 89 years old in a nursing home in Dublin, Ireland, uh, passed away and was determined that she'd also had a fever and a cough before she died, they didn't even have to test her for COVID-19. They simply were able to say she had symptoms that were consistent with COVID-19. 
and that's why she died. When in fact, an 89-year-old in a nursing home with a cough and a fever may very well have died from pneumonia of lots of other causes. So it is artificially inflating, Carol, the number of people who are truly dying of this disease. Well, Kelly, I know this is going to be a speculation question, and, and we don't want people calling us conspiracy theorists or anything like that. <laughs> That's a joke. I don't care what they call me. Um, but why would governments have an incentive to inflate the numbers? Is it to justify the unprecedented shutdown of all activities so that the numbers are not what they expected or projected? And so for some reason, it seems as if they're trying to get as many cases as possible. And if you want to go, you know, far afield, it seems like what's coming down the pike has to do with eventually they would try to encourage everyone to get a mandatory vaccination, which I don't want to have any part of. You know, I think you're precisely right, Carol. Fear is a very, very powerful tool. And fear is a very good way of controlling the people. So if they continue to inflate their numbers, and if they continue to make the average Americans believe that they themselves individually and their families are at significant risk of contracting this invisible uh, enemy, COVID-19, and that therefore they should do exactly what the government says to stay safe. If they can use those numbers to continually instill fear in people, they can continue to control people who otherwise would not stand for it. We see every day new requirements from the government and new uh, mandates. If you think back to just a few weeks ago, initially we weren't supposed to convene in groups larger than 500. Then it quickly dropped to 250, then to 100, then to 50, then to 20, then to 10. And where I live now, we're not allowed to congregate with anyone outside of our immediate family in our homes. This is not based on science. This is based on continuing to up the ante, to continue to build the fear factor and assert control. Well, here's the thing, too, is that we are resembling at this moment almost a totalitarian society with the surveillance and people being threatened with arrests. And we look at America, and it seems like we've lost our Constitution. We've lost everything just overnight around this pandemic. And what worries me as a political scientist and as an observer of the passing parade is that once you lose these things, it's very difficult to get them back. I, I think you are spot on, Carol, and it is both stunning and terrifying to me at the same time. In two and a half weeks, we have fundamentally lost civil liberties that we spent two and a half centuries fighting for. Think about that. And Americans are taking it sitting down, which is even more frightening. So without firing a shot, the government was able to regain unprecedented control over the lives of Americans who are now dutifully uh, staying at home and doing as they were told. And it really is somewhat the return. If we don't know our history, we are bound to repeat it. This is the return of the brown shirts, uh, how Nazism and totalitarianism always begins. Every letter that I've gotten from, for example, the state medical boards telling me what I can and can't prescribe, which hopefully we can talk about, 
also goes on to say that I should report my fellow physicians if they are breaking those rules, that I should turn people in. Likewise, the, the county is sending out notices saying we should turn in our neighbors if we are aware that they are having congregations, if they are meeting, if they're having a party at their home. We should call the police and turn them in. Just think about that. Well, that is happening, not just in California where you are, but all around the country. And it just puzzles, it's mind boggling how that happened. And we know with uh, President Trump, in the press conferences, he has defended the Constitution. He's not ordered all the governors in the U.S. He's respecting federalism so that there's not a mandate from D.C. that governors shut down the states. But other than that, it seems like with the media, everyone is in lockstep. And so if the media wanted to be honest, they would put up the statistics for influenza alongside uh, what they're reporting about the coronavirus. And they would look at the world population. And, you know, like I'm no, obviously I'm not a rocket scientist. I'm just a person with common sense. How is it that they would um, present those numbers the way they are when they know that if you look at the population of New York City or New York State or the United States of America or the world, those numbers are small drop in the bucket. Absolutely. And it, no one talks about, for example, just in our very recent history in this country, Carol, in 2008, 2009, during another administration, we had an outbreak of H1N1 flu, the swine flu. We haven't even begun to approach the numbers of people with COVID-19, the same numbers that we had back in, with H1N1. Many more people were infected, many more people died, and there was nothing, I don't recall anything shutting down. We didn't shut down schools and businesses and mandate people to stay home. People don't even remember barely the H1N1 outbreak during the Obama administration, yet the media doesn't report on that at all. What concerns me about all of it is it seems to have a, a political motivation in the sense that President Trump, in my opinion, has not been great for people who are globalists. And under Obama, you know, they, they were everything was working like clockwork. And then President Trump got elected. And all the uh, efforts to impeach him and remove him from office, they've all failed. And I would say the only thing left was the economy. So I'm very, very um, skeptical. I know that um, the coronavirus, COVID-19, uh, that it's real. I don't know how it got here, but it does seem that it was used as a means to wreck the economy. I, I believe that it has been as well, Carol. That's whether or not that's how it was started. That's certainly how it's been used. And interestingly, if you look back at even somebody like Dr. Anthony Fauci from the CDC, uh, there's a interesting piece of video from a couple of years ago, actually 2017, where he interestingly predicted that President Trump would face an unprecedented, quote, surprise pandemic. Now, I find that fascinating that he would have predicted that in 2017, unless he's really quite prescient and has a, had a crystal ball. Likewise, you may recall Chuck Schumer during the debacle uh, back in 2018 saying that, quote, they have six ways from Sunday to get back at you. 
Mr. President. And interestingly now, here we are on the eve of a presidential election, watching the economy fall to pieces, which as you rightly point out, Carol, was the one stellar thing that President Trump could absolutely hang his hat on. Well, the problem too is that there were so many uh, liberal um, activists that have reacted with glee at the downfall of the uh, economy. And you mentioned what Dr. Fauci said a couple of years ago. I find it very fascinating that Bill Gates and the people at the Johns Hopkins uh, Public Health Center, that they did a pandemic exercise involving uh, the human coronavirus and, and it being transmitted by bats last year and that Johns Hopkins had their map ready to go. And so everything was just set up uh, like clockwork for this pandemic. I, I agree with you. And you can, you know, people can call you a conspiracy theorist or, or otherwise, but at some point there are so many data points. There are so many bits of evidence out there that something that if nothing else, I can tell you, I smell a rat. Something isn't right here. Interestingly, Bill Gates also is the primary, if not sole funder, for the Institute for Health Metrics and Evaluation, which is the group out of the University of Washington creating these big models, the, uh, the IHME model that's quoted all the time for this particular pandemic uh, and is continually overestimating what we're gonna need from everything from hospital beds, ICU beds, ventilators, and wildly overpredicting the number of deaths uh, and essentially the destruction. We are at a point now, Carol, where the destruction to the economy is so far worse than any destruction from the virus that it's just tragic. Well, this other thing that's very concerning is how the uh, political left, including Gates, now they have sort of switched. They're saying that uh, President Trump and his team, that they overestimated the number of deaths. And because the economy has shut down and our way of life has ended, uh, the number of deaths will be fewer. And so it doesn't deal with the fact that the models were probably inaccurate from the very beginning and that they used the media to hype it up, uh, to force the shutdown of the country. And now that the economy is wrecked, they're beginning to sing a different tune. Absolutely. And let's look at if I simply put on my public health hat, Carol, and not my political cap, but purely from a public health perspective, there is no justification for treating the entire country as if it's New York City. We, we, why would we be treating from a public health perspective the plains of the Midwest, rural Colorado, places like Wyoming and Nevada and Montana that have few people, why would we treat those areas of the country the way we are treating New York City or downtown LA or New Orleans? Why would you lock down the entire country, force all businesses to close, all schools to close, the entire economy, unless you were trying to do something else? Because from a public health perspective, we would have simply said 30-year-old healthy frack workers in Wyoming should certainly go to work. Why would they stay home? Well, Kelly, we have to take a break. And it troubles me so much that with uh, President Trump, you know, he's stuck with those career civil servants. 
that did probably none of them voted for him. They have a different agenda, but because of our structure of government, he has to rely on the information he gets. And as a consequence, I think that there have been some bad decisions made. You're listening to Be The People. Dr. Carol Swain is the mind behind Be The People news, radio, podcast, and YouTube. Be The People's mission is dedicated to empowering individuals to think independently, understand their responsibility, and believe in their unique ability to make a difference in the world. Check out Carol's work at bethepeoplenews.com. To invite Carol to be your next keynote speaker, go to bethepeoplenews.com. That's bethepeoplenews.com. What if there was a book that took the mystery out of prayer, one that made it easier for people to pray God's Word with miraculous results? There is such a book, Joy Lamb's The Sword of the Spirit, The Word of God is a handbook that has changed the lives of thousands of people around the world. You can order your life-changing copy from Joy Lamb's website, thesoardofthespiritbook.com. Order Joy's book and listen to her audio prayers while you're there. I'm back with our guest, Dr. Uh, Kelly Victory, and we're talking about many disturbing uh, things about how our government has treated the coronavirus epidemic as well as the media. And Kelly, um, it's pretty clear, you know, we've already talked about Americans have not been given accurate information about the disease, and we've seen a lot of overreach. Is there a way to to say what the end game is, but also what should um, Americans be doing right now? Well, it's a great question. My biggest concern is what is the end game? Exactly. How do we unwind this? Um, you are exactly right. President Trump has unfortunately been boxed into a corner by these career uh, public health experts uh, who are directing them, I think, in a very bad direction. So the question is, how do we unwind that? It's much like working with a petulant child or a bad business partner. At some point, you've got to give them a way out of the corner they've backed themselves into. Uh, I'm hopeful that President Trump is going to eventually turn back to four key policy items and say, number one, we have got to get this economy back to work and we have got to bring the economy back. We've got to end our reliance on China and foreign governments because see, here's an example of how we put ourselves in a pickle by needing to get everything from gloves and masks and medications from someone else. We need to rely on the private sector healthcare system because that's who's coming to the, you know, to the uh, table here with answers, whether it's with medications or with other things that we needed during this time of crisis and that we need to close our borders. And I'm hoping he's gonna take it back full circle before the election to those key items. They have got to drop the mandated, this shutdown. If we don't get people back to work really in the next week or two, Carol, I think the economy is likely to be not recoverable in our lifetimes. But Kelly, I know that neither one of us have a way of knowing but I certainly hope that information like what you and others have presented, because everyone is not in on this, you know, that there are people out there writing articles they have pointed out about that website, COVID Act Now, that state and local governments use to 
scare people into shutting down their governments by over predicting the number of hospital beds that were needed. Surely, you know, the president has access to the, the same information we're talking about today. And I believe that he is aware of it. And that's my point is I believe that President Trump knows he was boxed into a corner and had to tread very lightly um, in dealing with these public health experts. But I think we are very close to him saying enough is enough. We cannot justify this shutdown any longer. Um, when you hear somebody like Anthony Fauci or Andrew Cuomo come out every day and say, if if all of these draconian measures just save one life, it will be worth it. Well, I hate to say it, but from a public health perspective, we can't, we can't function that way, Carol. Our job as public health experts is to mitigate as much as we can of the suffering, to decrease as much disease, to certainly decrease as many deaths as possible, but we cannot stop our entire way of living to eliminate all pain and suffering. If I wanted to assure that no child would ever drown in another swimming pool, I would outlaw swimming pools, but no one wants to live that way. Well, the thing, the hypocrisy of the Democrats like Andrew Cuomo, when you look at the fact that during this time, when we are all trying to save lives, the abortion clinics are still operating in states and cities controlled by Democrats. They're killing at the same time We'll, as a country, we say we're fighting to save lives. Right. Far more babies have died in the past weeks than have ever or will ever die from COVID-19. Uh, you're exactly right. Furthermore, they are doing everything they can to prohibit physicians like myself and my colleagues from using some of the medications that are looking to be very, very useful for the treatment of covid and there's just no justification for that unless they are actually hoping to be able to prove more deaths and keep the fear going. But Kelly, we're coming close to the uh, allotted time. Is there anything, uh, parting remarks that you have uh, for our listeners? My, my, the, my best suggestion for people right now while we're living through this crazy time is to know that they are not misinterpreting it. They are correct. This is an overreaction and an egregious overreaction right now. We will find our way out of this. I'd encourage people to turn off the television, put down their cell phone, pick up a book, play a board game, get outside. Remember, we will get back to our way of living because we're Americans and that's what we do. We, we are not ones who will roll over and let this go on forever. And I encourage people to attend a church services if they can, even if they need to do it online, get together and worship. Uh, and as I said, maintain your faith because this is, you are not misinterpreting it, Carol. You are spot on. And I'm hoping that all of your listeners will know that just they need to, to stay the course. Well, Kelly, it's been a delight having you on the show and also to know that there are brave people like you that are willing to, to risk, you know, their career and their lives to speak the truth. We need more truth speakers. And as I always say on this show, it's up to us, the we the people in the preamble of the Constitution to stand up and be the people. And this is a moment for people to stand up, fight for your Constitution, 
fight for the liberties, fight for the things that have made America great.